the title of the message I put together is called Planning Your Part. <laughs> uh, Lord, you are one step ahead of us all the time. Of course you are. You knit us together. You know the hairs on our head. You know what's going on for us. And then we, and then we still want to doubt, Lord. Forgive us our fallibility. Forgive us our shortcomings. Forgive us our faithlessness sometimes, Lord. And build us together to be faithful. To know that when we can't see, you can. And to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, what a privilege to be here together again this Sunday afternoon. It's so lucky to have you all here. Thank you. I know you didn't come here for me. I hope not. Came here to be together. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that should be our reason to come together. And um, I certainly hope no one's forced to be here. But there's no obligatory, like you lost a bet or you know, your parents threatened to. It's hopefully by choice. We come together because we can and we choose to. And um, a wonderful time of fellowshipping. That's why we start a little bit late. We don't want to be. Um, uh, we don't want to be uh, insulting for those that are on time. But to give five minutes so that we have a chance to actually say, "How's it going? How's your week?" That kind of thing. Fellowship, um, and then worshiping, and, and so forth. And we really want this to be the kind of place where what? You would invite someone. Hey, why don't you come with me? Because you should come and experience what I experience. So that this place would be what? An overflow of the love of God. A love for God. A love from God. A love for one another because God loves us. It's like this, this whole love triangle. If I love him and I love you and you love him, man, we're united. Why? Through the love that comes from God, from the throne of heaven. And, um, you know, I'm reminded, I was reminded this week that most definitely each and every one of us here, assuming we're all saved, we all got saved out of something. Didn't we? We came from somewhere, from something. And um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. So we're all new creations, technically, aren't we? From something. So I went to one of the communities this week. And uh, it was a full house. And we were in and I sat there and Leroy very cleverly said, listen, we're going to allow everyone to share a couple of minutes tonight. Tell us who you are. So they told me you can get to know you. That was wonderful. <laughs> and some of the guys come from some tough backgrounds. The kind of backgrounds that are clearly designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that's destroy it. Destroy Destroy your life. If it's not gangsterism, it's drugs, if it's not, etc., etc. Tough neighborhoods, tough 
that cross tough laughs on. And yet every one of them there was saved. And I think, I look at them and I think of the extreme environment, the extreme circumstances that they've come from, and they say, Jesus is their Savior. And I sit there, thank God for every one of them. Thank God for every one of them. But God doesn't save us from something to end them. See, it doesn't end them. No. When He saves us out of something, that's a miracle. But what He saves us into is the bigger miracle. He doesn't just bring us out. He brings us out out of something for the purpose of taking us into something new. And um, the testimony of some of the guys <laughs> was just God-given saving grace. God-given saving grace. In Romans 8, verse 2, Paul writes and he says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. So is the art of something, away from the law of sin and death. But it's a new birth, a new life, a new creation and hope for something else. In Ephesians 4, verse 20, he said that however, that however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in your attitude of your minds, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But it's not just guys and ladies saved from tough environments. I grew up Catholic. I was a good Catholic kid. I really was. I used to voluntarily go to church on a Wednesday morning before school. We had a chapel at school and I could pitch a quarter to eight for a 15 minute mass. And some Wednesdays I was usually only at church. Because I wanted to know God. Right? Just just didn't get into a relationship. But I went to church. When I was 18, 19, 20, Saturday night was joining time. Okay? The problem was, when you went out joining all night, you usually spent the Sunday in bed. You know? From doing things that you shouldn't have been doing. So I found a way around it. Because there was church on Saturday from 67 which is awesome because I could go Saturday night tick the box then go out with my friends doing all the things at the bars and the discos and chasing the girls and what have you till 2, 3, 4 in the morning and I could see but I don't my bits so God was happy and I was happy because I didn't see the truth but I was a, I thought I was a good guy. I was a pretty good guy, wasn't I? Don't you think? I went to church. I made my time for God and then I got on with what I wanted. 
understand until I got saved the wretchedness of my lifestyle. But you see the similarity between those that come out of tough environments and Sunnydale, we've got there, guys, out of drugs, out of all kinds of things. The difference between them and me is no difference. I was just deceived. I wasn't a gangster. I never touched a pretty, but I was going to help. Just like anybody else who doesn't know Jesus is. So whether you're a good Catholic kid, who thinks he's got it together, or you come out of a tough background, it makes no difference. If you don't know Jesus, he's not your Savior. I'm going to the same place that the worst of the worst are going. But God. So just as those guys and many others have got saved, I got saved too, by the grace of God. But it wasn't just, as I said earlier, coming out of my deception or gangsterism, etc., etc. It's not just out of that, but what about now? What about going forward? And um, we're not going to read the whole scripture because you know the story about the adulterous woman that was caught, that was caught, and they were ready to stone her. They caught her in adultery, and they're like, we're, we're about to stone her because the law of Moses says that we can. And then, uh, and then they come to Jesus and say, what, what, what should we do? The Bible says that he wrote in the sand. And then he said, um, he said, uh, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And then he wrote on the ground. And they started to walk away. The older ones first. And for only Jesus was left with the woman. He looked up and he said, Well, has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. He said, Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't condone her, he didn't endorse. He knew she was guilty. But our God is the God that forgives sin. And he forgave her sin. And then what did he do? He gave her an instruction. It's very important. He gave her an instruction. He said to her, go. And don't repeat what you've done. Now I don't want to get into a preach on repentance. But let's just stick with what's going on here. She found forgiveness. She was saved from a death of stoning. And then he said, he gave her instruction. Go, go, go and don't repeat. So when we get saved, we're not called to limit ourselves to holy habits. Yes, we do want to hang out together. We do want to get together at community. We do want to come together with fellow believers at church. But it doesn't end here. Matthew 25. And uh, again, I for the sake of time. I don't want to read the whole parable, but it was the story of the talents, and we've all heard the story before. I'm sure it's been taught and preached on. And we know what happened. One guy was given five talents, one was given two, and one was given one. And when the master came back, 
the one that had five had doubled them, he put them to work, and what did his master say to him? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that something you'd like to hear one day? Yes. I would. Oh, my hat. And the one that had two, and he says, and I'll sit you over much in joy, enter into the joy of your master. And then we know the one that had one talent came back and said, I was afraid. But I still got it. So you can have it. Oh man. And the master said, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Said so you could have done something with it. You could have invested my money with the bankers. And I would have received interest. And then he says, Take this talent away and give it to him. He's got five or ten. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into darkness. It's a tough ending. So what's a talent? So initially a talent was used as a measure of weight, about 75 pounds. Then the meaning was adjusted to mean a unit of coinage. And today, talent indicates the ability or a gift to do something. So we see from the parable, people are given something, they're trusted with something, and they're expected to use it productively. So in today's, in today's world, whether you're given, according to the parable, whether you're given five or ten or three or one or half or twenty or fifty, does the number matter? No. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. The Bible says that we're given gifts by the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are what the, the word that's used is irrevocable. God doesn't take them away. But this parable shows that I think he does eventually. When you die, you stand before the king, and you were given a talent that you didn't use, you'll take it away from you and cast you out. So what do those talents look like? Well, let me tell you something. When I joined Josh King, I had no aspiration ever to stand up here with a microphone. Yeah, seriously. We joined the church, and for three months they kept inviting us to community, and I was like, I don't know community. I don't even know if I trust it. I don't even know, like, like what did I know even then? But I, I want to make sure I trust the preaching. How much did I read the Bible? I don't read the Bible much, but, you know, cynical, untrusting. Seriously, three months. Then we went to a community. My son, who's now 19, was four. We went to a community in a small home, and there were no kids. You try and control a four-year-old, when there's 15 adults around, you're the only one with a kid and all he wants to do is run around. We never went back. And a couple of weeks later, new community leaders were raised up and one family had like three kids and like, we got very And so did the other 10 families with three-year-olds. There was a bun fight every Wednesday for the beds. You had to get there early to get a bed for your kids so that you could pick it up. crazy. But, Seriously, I had no, no aspiration. 
I'm sitting at the back. No pick on me, don't ask me, leave me alone. But I wanted to do one thing. I wanted to be obedient. And I wanted to be faithful. I didn't want the microphone. I didn't want the spotlight. I didn't want notoriety. I didn't want responsibility. But I realized the seriousness of my God. And I just wanted to be faithful. You know, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, they raised us up as community leaders. And we took over a community, not knowing what we were doing, and then made us deacons, and then eventually elders. And I didn't ask for any of this. But God will raise you up. Why? Not because you're able, but because you're willing. See, God's looking for willing hearts before He's looking for able-bodied hearts. But will you posture your heart in a way that says that, Lord, even if I don't want you to use me, will you use me if you see fit? So, what does that faithfulness look like? I made sure I went to church every Sunday. I used to do that as a Catholic. Because that was religious. But now I wanted to go to church. I didn't want to. I had to make a commitment to myself that I would get up early on a Sunday and even if it was religious-like, no, I didn't want to miss. And that means getting up early on a Sunday and making sure I took me and my family to church. That's my choice. I chose to do it. Not because it was expected. Um, training times. We had training times in the evenings and over the weekends. I'll never forget the first community we joined. And I overheard the community leader say, yeah, man, a community leader's meeting on a Friday night. And I, you know when you try not to show emotion, you try not to respond, you're just like... <laughs> and my brain's going, who has a meeting on a Friday night? And who does that? Friday night is when I, you know, I do this and I watch a movie and we... Meeting? These oaks are good. I'm never going there. <laughs> yeah, that's where I started. But obedience. Now, if I'm not meeting on a Friday night, like, what's wrong? <laughs> not that severe, you know what I'm trying to say. I read the CD, and I know it's the abbreviated CD of Dimitri and Connor. Oh, my hat. If you want to read about obedience and faithfulness, walking the streets of Greenpoint, reaching out to prostitutes and cross-dressers, and starting a bookshop and a coffee shop, starting a church, starting a Bible school. I look at that and I go, I'm going to ask you, how many of you are willing to walk the streets and go and speak to prostitutes? Put up your hand. Come on. Yeah, not me. That on its own is faithfulness. That on its own is obedience. In fact, I think they came here to start a surface church. And then God said, no, not surface prostitutes. No, Lord, that's not how you spell it. So it is. <laughs> how many of us are keen to go knock on doors? Even though the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted. I don't like being persecuted. 
So when a visitor walks up that stairway on a Sunday, we should be pouncing on them. Because we didn't have to go knock on 500 doors to find them. We didn't have to go walk the streets to invite them. They came here by their own choice. We should be pouncing on them, tying them to a chair, <laughs> buying them coffee, giving them biscuits, making sure, because they came here of their own free will. We didn't have to go find them. Come on. Now Jesus is the head of the church. We know that, right? And the church is what? The body of Christ. And there's a great marriage taking place one day. We're all going to get married one day to Jesus. But we make up a body. A body. And Jesus is the head. And Jesus is not bodyless. But we are headless without it. Correct? Okay. So let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 12. I'm read through this quickly. Just as a body, like me, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Okay? For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slaves, or free. Whether you're from Tableview, Bontehirville, Manningburg, Woodstock, West Beach, Freenook, Seapoint, uh, it makes no difference. We're all part of the body. For verse 14. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. Now the foot should say, because I've got a hand, I don't belong to the body. If the foot should say, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, every one of you in this body, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. And so it goes on. Verse 27. Now, now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part in it. If you got up in the morning and your leg said, oh, I'm not going to play a part in you today, I'm staying in bed. Really? You're going to need a crutch, and you might get by for a day, but tomorrow you're going to chin that leg. Hey, <laughs> I need you. The mouth needs the hand to pass the food. The mouth chews the food so the stomach can get it. What is the food? Every part of the body does what? Serves the rest of the body. No part serves itself. No part serves itself. Every part needs every other part to function. Those of you that have broken limbs, 
in the past, a broken arm or a broken, or you've broken a toe, or you've got toothache, you know about it. Doesn't the rest of your body suffer? Because one part is suffering. So just because I'm standing here with a microphone, I'm not the most important part of this body. In fact, this body doesn't function if all of you are not part of it. Am I right? If I stood up here and this room was empty, who would I be preaching to? I can't talk to the people that you talk to. I don't engage with the people that you engage with. You have a part. So the church is made up of every single one of us. Some need communities, some set up coffee on a Sunday, some are working in kids' church faithfully this evening, some set up a venue here, then there's work that goes on behind the scenes, there's people that sign in. So I want to ask you today, I want to challenge you, what part of the body are you, perhaps, where you're not playing the part? Maybe God stirred you sometime in the past to be part of something. And you're not. Now, I'm not recruiting. <laughs> I'm not recruiting. But I want to take you back to the parable of the five talents. And if you just like me, 15 years ago, don't ask me. But I joined a community. Or a home group. And one Saturday they said, we're going to plant trees at the church. So I went to the church and I planted trees. And as time went by, then they said, we're going to go to Kailicha. Because we've got a ministry into Kailicha that trains people to care for people who have been left to die in their beds. So it's carers that train carers. that go and wash and feed and take care of people. And those carers live in shacks. But we managed to get things sponsored like plastic and we would go there before winter and we would recover their shacks for the winter. Simple. Took ladders and we took hammers and what have you. And when they said we're going to go, I was like, Kailicha? Really? Is it safe? Yes, it's safe. Okay, if you say so, I'm coming. And I went. And I went. And I went. No problem, because it was so. You know, left your own devices, but we went. And then when they said, listen, we've got a few people going to Malawi, can you afford to take Malawi? Outreach? Is it what? I don't even speak Malawi. What do they speak Malawi? No, they speak English. Okay. I went to Malawi. And so it goes. Fearful. Afraid, but faithful. I'm no hero. But what's God stirred you to be a part of? What's God stirred you to contribute towards? Now I'm not asking you to answer me, but I'm asking you, don't ignore the voice of God. There's a part that every one of us is called to play. And it may be in this context and it might be outside of this context. I don't know. But I'm trying to stir up. If you have 
one talent and not five, that one can make a difference. Don't waste it. Call to play a part in the body. And sometimes that is going out. Tony, I'm feeling served. You need to go and evangelize. Tony, I'm feeling served. Or Leroy, or Jacques, or who, who, if you're in a home group. I don't know how to do this. I'm feeling to do this or do that. What do you think? Come on. If you're afraid, come to one of us. Speak to one of us. But God has given you talents. Don't want to waste them. You won't take them away. But if you don't use them, they're going to go to waste. And you'll take them away eventually. You don't want to get there. So, this afternoon, I would ask you to ask God if you don't know what it is that He's called you to do. In 1 Peter, verse, in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, He writes, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says that Jesus is the foundation. And there's a scripture that says that he's the cornerstone. You know, houses and buildings stand. Why? Because the foundation is But he's calling us to be living stones. Not just bricks. <laughs> living stones. You know, and if all the stones and the plumbing and the electrics and the roof and all of that doesn't work together, that house, not a lack of place to be, is it? But when all those parts work together, that house is a place you want. So I want to challenge you this afternoon. What's God called you to? Are you willing to respond, to be faithful? And allow yourself to be stretched. Just a little. Just a little. You don't have to come up here and preach. You don't have to be a hero. But one talent makes a difference in the kingdom of God. You don't want to waste it. I want to end with this, if I may. Jesus said, John 15 verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, today to lay down one's life for one's friends. And for years I read that scripture, okay Lord, when I have to lay my life down, it's going to need to be for something big. I said, I don't want that. But I will if I have to. That's not what the scripture is saying. To lay down your life is to give up the things that you have for your brothers. And you know one of the greatest things we can give up for one another is our time. To love one another. Jesus is saying, if you want to show your love, lay down your life. Your life consists of 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Saying, give up some of that for your brothers and sisters. That's where it starts. Amen? Come it stand. So, um, before, in 
as, as God starts to build these things in us, and He starts to show these things in us, there's going to be a fear that what He's given to us is inferior compared to what He's given to you, to that person, to that person, to that person. Um, and I want to be vulnerable in my life. I know, for me, I feel like the enemy's put a target on my back and he keeps trying to jab me at this thing. And, and I'm being vulnerable, I want to encourage you that there is no inferior gift or talent that God has given us. Whether it's hosting someone, whether it's feeding someone, whether it's praying for someone, whether it's, it's inviting people into your space, whether it's giving your lips, it's meeting with visitors, it's, it's whatever it may be, praying for someone, preferring words for someone, serving on the team, preaching on Sunday, cleaning up afterwards. There is no such thing as inferior inferior gift that God has given inferior I don't know, I'm for me in my life, my shoulders right now, I look at the elders, I look at the elders and some that I am, and many times in my life I've listened to the lies of, I'm never going to be like that. Yeah. And you know how many times that's crippled me in my life, I've, I've looked at them and I've been like, I'm not going to be that. I'm not, I, what I have is inferior compared to what God has given me. And so many times the enemy's going to sideswipe me and knock me down from what I'm supposed to be doing. Because I'm the guilty one of listening to the lie. And I then agreed with that lie and said, yes, I will never be like that. And, and it's not the right thinking. The right thing is, I'm not supposed to be like that. I'm not supposed to be Tony. Yes, I need to follow him as he follows Christ, follow his example. Look, I'm not Tony. Tony has gifts that God has given him. Patrick has gifts that God has given him. Damien has gifts that God has given him. Caleb has gifts. God's given him. God's given me things that he's given me. I'm not supposed to be Caleb. I'm not supposed to be Daniel. I'm not supposed to be Patrick, Dimitri, Tony, Daniela. I'm not supposed to be that. But the devil's going to lie and he's going to say, hey, why can't you be like that person? You're not, you're, you're not good enough because you don't open your home. Or when you do open your home, you're not good enough because you can't do it like that. I want to encourage you guys today that what you give, the smallest thing to the biggest thing, that lady who gave the two mites, you know, the Pharisee gave out of abundance, gave everything they could. And she's like, cool, that's right. But the lady came and gave tiny, but it was all that she had. And Jesus wanted her. And to this day, she still wanted her. And I want to encourage us today, Lord, I ask that you break fear. You break the lies that Satan speaks to us. When I ask you, you God, our hearts, that we would not listen to lies, not believe the lies. I pray that we'd be real, Lord, and be real with you. And that we'd be vulnerable, share with one another. What is, what is our fear? What is that fear? Why do I not feel good enough? Lord, I ask that you would come and, and you, would, you would restore hope. You would restore faith in the things you've given me. That you would speak to us and that we would see that you delight even the littlest thing we do, the smallest thing we do. And I really want to encourage, I feel like the Lord would say to everyone here in this room that he is overjoyed with even the smallest step that we take. And I, I feel like as we're growing as a family, and what God's going to do in the future, the enemy is going to trouble life. But don't listen to the Lord. Don't tolerate the lie. Know that God has given you something. And know that it's not in fear. Know that that which He's given you, whatever it may be, brings Him the greatest joy. And He loves you. He loves them. Yeah. Amen.